0: Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Bu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Last week, in the first of our three-part series on racism and mental health, we took an unflinching look at how racism negatively affects Black and African-American mental health. It's not pretty. Racism not only adds day-to-day stress— But it also affects the way a person sees themselves and the world over the long run. Its damaging effects on the brain can even be passed on through generations. And on top of it all, those who suffer racism also have less access to quality mental health care. Today, we talk about some things that we might be able to do about this bleak situation. So what can we do about the toxic effects of racism on mental health? Well, the tough news is that there is much difficult work to be done, and no amount of well meaning movies, TV shows, articles, or podcasts will be enough. The encouraging news is that we're increasingly doing more research and giving much needed attention to ways to protect the mental health of minorities affected by racism. One shortcoming of this research is that it mostly focuses on coping with interpersonal racism. In other words, what each person who experiences racism can do for themselves. So before we go on, I want to acknowledge that this is not enough. We cannot place the full burden of coping with racism on the people who are oppressed by it. Everybody has to be involved, and we need to make much bigger changes at every level of society. This is why we will dedicate the next full episode to steps that white and other privileged people can do to help, starting with acknowledging and dismantling our own defensiveness. But today, I do want to provide listeners with practical advice for protecting their own mental health from the damaging effects of racism. Tip number one is to start with self-compassion and acknowledge emotions. When you experience racism, you're fighting battles all the time. Whether they're outright legal battles to maintain your rights or more subtle battles like engaging in John Henryism, which is working ever harder to get the respect that you deserve. And that fight is exhausting. The last thing your mind needs to do is to battle itself. So give yourself time and space to be mindful of your emotions. This means protecting each day to do nothing but be with yourself in the here and now. No distractions, no multitasking, no social media, and for Black women especially, no tamping down your emotions so you can be strong for others. Operating at 110% may often feel necessary and unavoidable, especially for the Black superwoman whom families and communities rely upon. But being everything to all people while suppressing your own emotions and needs is a sure way to burn out. So, at least once a day for 30 minutes, say no to requests and let yourself simply be. You can do it standing, sitting, walking, lying down, as long as you listen to your body and your emotions and let the tears flow if needed. Tell yourself something compassionate and forgiving. Speak to yourself the way you would to a child with a scraped knee or with hurt feelings. It's okay. Knowing your feelings is a sign of strength. Connecting with yourself is an important ingredient in mental health. But connecting with others is just as important. And that's why tip number two is to lean on social networks and cultural communities. We need the support of others whether through family and friends or through our church, workplace, neighborhood communities, we really do need these. For Black Americans, the truth is that not a lot of research has directly tested whether social support serves as a buffer for racism's effects on mental health. Studies have found that talking to others about racism is a common coping strategy, but it's unclear if the mental health damage that racism inflicts Is directly undone by it. We do know that leaning on others is generally associated with better well being among minorities. Here's one important note when you look for social support, make sure you get the real thing. Sometimes, doom scrolling through social media can give you the illusion that you're connected, but it may actually be keeping you isolated from real interactions. It's time to get old fashioned. Have one on one small group conversations, even if they have to take place over the phone or the internet for now. Play games or sports with others, build things together, and create shared experiences. These are the interactions that will boost your mood and give you a true feeling of belonging. And speaking of belonging, tip number three is to cultivate your racial identity. Racial identity is complicated it's made up of both how we see ourselves and how others see us. Scholars can write many dissertations on this topic, and they have. Some have proposed that we develop our racial identities in stages, starting with conforming with the majority's views, then resisting and rebelling against those views, and then ultimately, eventually, settling into integration, where we're confident and proud of our own racial heritage and also appreciate and support other groups. Of course, not everyone's racial identity journey is the same. Experiences with racism, inherited racial trauma, access to resources and support, all of these things can affect a person's relationship to race. That being said, having a strong sense of racial identity could theoretically offer a person a sense of belonging as well as a shield against racism's damaging effects on self-esteem. For Black Americans, there is some evidence that having a strong sense of racial identity may protect against some of the psychological stress that comes from racism. For example, Black high school students who consider their race a central part of who they are have fewer depressive symptoms than those who don't think much about their race. And in a sample of black college students, having cultural pride was associated with better well-being. This advice to lean into your social identity might be a little more complicated than it first seems. Because another study has shown that while having a strong racial identity somewhat protects Black young adults' psychological well being from the damaging effects of discrimination, it also made them more likely to experience discrimination. It's possible that having a stronger racial identity makes a person more aware of receiving discrimination, or that it makes them more of a target, or potentially both. I know this sounds confusing. The take home message is if I had to choose one side to either lean into cultivating your racial identity or the opposite, I would choose the former because we can only control what we do and we cannot sacrifice what's meaningful to us for the chance that other people might be less prejudiced against us. So, we've talked about connecting with your emotions, connecting with your community and connecting with your own racial identity. Now, what do you do in the moment when there is a microaggression or not so microaggression, some interpersonal experience that is racist? And my tip here, this is tip number four, is to practice assertiveness when you want to address a racist interaction. So racist encounters are very, very difficult to navigate. They can range from annoying, to hurtful, to infuriating, or even worse. Let's focus here on a specific type of interaction, racist interaction, where there's no imminent danger. It's still important to address the issue because racism is damaging to your well-being. Some examples of racism that affect you without putting you in immediate danger could include being, for example, being mistaken for another Black person at work, even though you look nothing alike, being the subject of suspicion from someone in authority, or being passed over for opportunities or resources for no discernible reason. There's no algorithm for deciding when to confront racism. You get to decide which battles to fight and when it's important to fight them. You're not personally responsible for addressing every injustice especially when doing so would cause you more harm than good. But it's also absolutely your right to honor your values by standing up for yourself. So if you do want to address a particular racist interaction, it can be helpful to practice assertive communication. In other words, communicating clearly, firmly, and fairly. Assertiveness is not being aggressive or domineering, And successful assertiveness involves speaking your mind in a way that you can feel good about. You maintain your dignity and integrity, and you don't stoop to rudeness or hurting others. For a full step by step guide to assertive communication with detailed examples, check out my episode on how to be assertive without being a jerk. For today, let's just do a summary of important do's and don'ts. Do use I statements to describe what you see and how you feel. So for example, you can say something like, I noticed that other customers are not being asked to show their ID before making a purchase. This seems unfair to me. So notice that I use I statements and I describe what was going on in pretty objective terms. Another do is to state what you would like the outcome of the interaction to be. So instead of just saying what you don't like about the situation, do specifically say what you want to see happen. So for example, you can say something like, I would like my server to apologize, and then I would like to have another server for the rest of my meal. Another do is to reinforce the other party for doing right. When someone steps in to help, or when someone realizes their mistake and apologizes or course corrects, do reinforce them because this helps people to become less defensive and makes them more likely to do right in the future. So you can say something as simple as, I appreciate the way you've listened and paid attention to my concerns. Of course, only say this if that's actually true. Now, one important don't is don't accuse the other person of thinking or feeling a certain way. Focus only on the behaviors that you can observe, because this tends to be more effective at getting the other person to open up, listen, not be defensive, and come to see your point of view. So instead of saying, You're obviously a racist, you can say something more like, What you said was very disrespectful to me. You can even say, What you said was racist. Notice how I focused on the actions. Instead of the person's feelings and thoughts and who they are as a person. And the last tip is to not be passive aggressive. As tempting as it is, throwing side eye and using other non direct hostility will not get you what you need. So instead of saying something like, I guess that's how it's going to be, you can say, I don't appreciate being treated like this. Again, safety first. In situations that could escalate or become dangerous, do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. And also, again, these tips in no way suggest that the solution to racism is for Black Americans to practice communication skills. That's not even close. These are merely a tool for your toolkit to help you protect your own mental health. So just to review, Be compassionate with yourself. Speak to yourself as if you were a wounded child with compassion, with patience, and just get in touch with your emotions. Also, lean on your social networks, on your communities, on your friends and family, because these are going to be your rocks and you are going to be their rock. Also, cultivate your racial identity. This one's complicated because sometimes it may backfire But if you have to choose between being yourself and proud of who you are and playing by other people's prejudices just to avoid confrontation, I would probably choose the former. And lastly, practice assertive communication, which means being fair, being objective, and speaking clearly, firmly, and saying what you need out of the situation. In next week's episode, I'll talk more directly to non-minorities, white people and white adjacent people who are not only in a position to be allies, but have the responsibility to do so. We'll get very specific about implicit bias and defensiveness, and specifically, how to start dismantling that defensiveness. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. I am on social media, you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. I'm at QDT Savvy Psych and also at Jadewoo PhD. We can also keep in touch through the Savvy Psychologist newsletter. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickiberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you again for joining me. I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind.